Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... I did not fight beside you on the field, and I will regret that until my dying day. A man can only admit when he was wrong and ask forgiveness. There's nothing to forgive, my lord. There will be more fights to come. House Glover will stand behind House Stark, as we have for a thousand years. And I will stand behind Jon Snow. The King in the North! The King in the North! Michael Preston. It's probably the. I mean, I mean, the game was nice. The game was nice to be there for, but to be able to, after the game, open up your browser, your mobile browser, just a few minutes after the game ended, and see the Pac-12 standings with Washington State seven and zero, top of the North. That's pretty damn cool. That's pretty damn cool. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Brian Howell from BuffZone.com. I'm going to stop by and talk about the Colorado Buffaloes. Preview uh, WSU's upcoming game in Boulder. And then Brian Anderson. Going to stop by. Always love having Brian on the show to try and uh, kind of go over like... Uh, you know what? What's been going right with the offense the last few weeks? Uh, pretty doggone neato. Uh, great discussion. He's got he's got a, a really incredible stat. I want you to wait around for because I mean it. it, it you know we I usually talk with the guests a little bit before uh, we start recording their interview, but my God, uh, this <laughs> this stat really it blew my mind a little bit. I mean, I, it, it's funny. Jeff Jeff said this last week in his Monday after post. What what do you what do you say again after a game like that? I mean, two straight weeks where WSU has just taken care of business and done it in dominating fashion. I think Jeff was right uh, in his post this week. You know, they they haven't really faced a capable quarterback. Uh, in the last few weeks, and or really in, for the better part of a month, uh, and they finally did that uh, with Davis Webb. And although they let him get some yards, still only 21 points uh, given up in that 56 to 21 win. And I mean, the game was largely over in the third quarter. It just with the way WSU's offense was rolling, and with the way Cal's defense couldn't stop them, and with the way WSU's defense was. Bending and not breaking to Cal's offense. That was pretty excellent. It was. It, it, I mean, it it, it really. Uh, it, it it that that game was over by the third quarter. So it, it's kind of left me in this weird position where again, it's not a complaint because you know it's weird. It's just I just don't have a ton to say. What more is there to say about a team that so thoroughly dominated? Someone they should. A team they should dominate. We discussed that last week, right? Cal was that team the last few years you feel like you should have beaten. 
or the last couple of years, you should have beaten. You should have beaten them uh, at home two years ago, certainly in that 60-59 to 59 loss. And you should have beaten them last year. You were the better football team last year in Berkeley. And even that year before those two games, you probably actually shouldn't have, shouldn't have won that game. Cal was always kind of teetering right there, and it took a couple of turnovers inside the five-yard line to win that game. So Cal was kind of always this team that you hung around with or hung around with you because they are so similar to you offensively. I, you know, I don't know enough defensively scheme-wise to tell you whether they're the same or not. But you know, a team that had struggled with defense, runs a similar offense. They were always, they were always kind of that Washington State of the Bay Area. That's always kind of what they were. And it seemed like over the last few years, WSU struggled just to get past that hump with Cal. And boy, did they ever. That was an exclamation point of a game. I mean, it everything came easily. Literally everything. And Jeff, and Jeff made this point again on Monday too. That was the most pedestrian 650-some-odd yards of offense I've ever seen in my life. And it was some, it, it, it's a top 10 all-time performance in school history in terms of total yardage. Like, like, don't... Let's not trip about that. It's an insane performance in terms of yardage. Absolutely bonkers. 600. 154 yards of offense and it was you know yeah that's where you're at with this football team right now 36 of 50 373 yards five touchdowns one pick it wasn't a good one he overthrew can't remember who it was did Luke Falk there it looked pedestrian that's the shocking thing to me 56 points was just like, oh, yeah, well, you know. That's just what it looked like. That's just what it looked like to me. That's the weird thing. Over 50 points four times this year. And in their last four games, they've scored 37, 35, 69, 56 points. Lowest total they've been held to is 27 by UCLA. I mean, that's just, that's absolutely incredible. You can compare that to last year. They were held to 17 against Portland State, 28 against Cal, 28 against Stanford, 10 against Washington, and just one game in the 50s when they beat Oregon State. Now compare that to this year. Four games in the 50s. Four. That's incredible. And this offense finally clicking, all of it kind of coming together for them. On a consistent basis. Here over the last four weeks, over the last month of football. And there's not a more crucial time for this to be happening right now. We thought that Oregon-Stanford-UCLA gauntlet was going to be the toughest part of the season. Boy, were we ever wrong. 
I think everybody was wrong about that. But your last two games of the season are going to be against top 15 teams. Colorado, 12 right now as I record this in the AP. I don't know what they'll be in the CFP, so you'll have to fill me in later. And Washington will certainly stay in the top 10 of the CFP. I know that. These two games right here, this is your season. I mean, yeah, it's easy to say, but this is the season right here. In Boulder, home against UW for the Apple Cup. And there's a very, very, very high probability that that Apple Cup is for so very much. It is for the Pac-12 championship game. It is for a chance to go to the Rose Bowl. It is arguably the most critical game for both teams in decades that that they've played between the two of them. This is a good time for the offense to start clicking. This is a good time for the defense to start the bend but don't break and to start playing extraordinarily well. Better than we've seen them play all year. This is a very good time for this all to be happening. Because these last two games are... I, I, you know, I, th- I think we knew that the Apple Cup would be important. I don't think anybody saw Colorado being this good coming. But I think we always kind of knew maybe that these two games were going to be fairly important. And boy, are they are they ever now. We didn't necessarily think they'd be the most difficult games. I didn't think Colorado would be this good. I certainly don't think anybody did. But it it it, it now is your two most important games of the season because there is so much on the line here. And the reason it's the two most important games of the season is because you made it that way. They won eight in a row to make these two games the most important in the season. You continue floundering and these games just don't matter. You roll into these games at... Well, no, I guess they would because you're sitting at five and five. They obviously matter because you need to get to a bowl game. But there are still implications here. I don't know if I would be more stressed out if you needed to win these games to get bowl eligible or if you needed to win these games like they do right now to get to the Pac-12 championship. It's the latter. I'm much more stressed out right now than I would be just for a bowl game. Raise your hand if you saw that after the Idaho game. I'll, I'll even give you the benefit of seeing the Idaho game. Raise your hand if you saw this coming. Put your hand down, you liar. I do want to spend a little bit more time. Um, we'll talk to Brian uh, Howell about the buffs here coming up in a couple of minutes. He's He's got so much more insight than I could ever give uh, on a, a, the surprise, the, the surprise team of the Pac-12 this year. Um, I want, I want to take a minute and I want to talk about River Craycraft. Um, Torres ACL on uh, the third quarter against Cal. And, you know, I, I, I always think, you know, career ending injuries for college football players are, you know, they're very unfair because, you know, what, what do you ask of these kids? Um, you know, they're just, they're scholarship athletes. They, they go to class. They, they, they have other things to do outside of football. 
they're young men uh, who are you know still trying to learn their way through this world as they play college football. Um, but River Craycraft is a guy who, for years, he was he was just he was the guy who came here at the beginning of all of this, bought in early on. PJ said that very very well this morning on Tuesday morning. River Craycraft was one of the first guys here who bought in early, along with Gabe Marks, were these guys who bought into this rebuild early. And a guy like River Craycraft, who never once had gotten in trouble, had always been polite and well-spoken with the media, and had always played his ass off. And this year... You, you, I think you saw this incredible, not necessarily a transformation, but just this, the skill this kid showed off, that insane catch against Stanford, the toe drag against Oregon State. He was really turning into, you know, we, we already knew how special he was. A guy who... Luke Connor Halliday and Luke Falk could just count on to be there on third down. To know right where the marker is, I'm going to run a yard beyond it, and you get the football near me, and I'm going to catch it. That is who River Craycraft is, is Mr. Dependable. And to see a career, a college career cut down on such an innocuous, just such an innocuous play. I mean, just even leave that out of it. It, it, To me, it it is unfair. I would, you know, Rivers showed up for weightlifting. I would not, I would not show up for weightlifting the following day. Kids got more fortitude than I do. That's for damn sure. I, I am absolutely gutted for him because when you buy in to a rebuild early you obviously want to see the rewards a rose bowl a pac-12 championship and you and and he will he will still get plenty of credit for helping this team get to those as as he well should because they would not be here without him but for him to not be on the field for it, that kills me. I want nothing more than for him to be able to do that. Because he does deserve it. This kid has busted his ass since the moment he set foot on campus. And for an injury like this to cut him down before he can complete his final season... It, it just kills me. And not only that, but you're talking about missing the combine. You're talking about missing a pro day. You're talking about missing senior all-star games. You're talking about all of that. He's not going to be fully healthy by the time the draft rolls around. That kills me even more. Because th- th- that is the entire point of this exercise in college football, right? Is you do You want to get to the NFL. And I would hate to see for something like this to get in his way of that. Now, I think that plenty of NFL teams are smart enough to know that, you know, 
ACL injuries are not what they once were. They are not, you know, this, oh God, it's a, you know, year long or more recovery process. And we got that down to about seven to eight months now. And it, it's certainly not a end-all, be-all injury where you were so cautious. I mean, you look at Nikola Koprovica for when he played basketball. He was never the same. He wasn't the same player for two years after he tore his ACL. But it it, it still it still absolutely kills me that he cannot be on the field with with his friends and with with guys he has gone into proverbial battle with um, for the last four years. You forget what it does to the depth chart. Forget what it does to the receiving core. What I, whatever. It's unfair for him, and it sucks big time for him. Now, I know he'll make it in this world. He's a very smart kid and he's very talented. But it's still for him to not get these last at least bare minimum three games this year. Absolutely killer for me, but. Like we said, we know he'll do well. And River, we if if you're listening, I have no idea if you are. Maybe you are. Maybe you're doing. I assume you're doing weights because you're a maniac. Uh, we wish you all the best, pal, and we hope you get better soon. And we can't wait to see you on the field on Sundays next year. Brian Howell from BuffZone.com is going to come up next. We're going to talk about the Colorado Buffaloes a little bit here on the Coop Center Hour. <laughs> the Coog Center Hour, and we discussed this a little bit in the opening. WSU is going to go from facing some pretty not very good defenses to some very good defenses, uh, one of them belonging to the top 15 ranked, and I'll say 15 because I don't know what they're going to be in the CFP by the time we release this, top 15 ranked Colorado Buffaloes. Brian Howell covers them for buffzone.com, and Brian, 8-2 and, eight and two overall, 6-1 and one in conference. Uh, compared to last year's Times must be very happy in Boulder, are they not? Yeah, they're uh, compared to the last ten years, they're uh, they're really happy. It's, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's been a decade since the last winning season, and mm-hmm. um, nine years since the last bowl game. So, so yeah, I mean, people are, are pretty thrilled with what's, with what's going on. I mean, eight and two at this point. Um, you know, hardly anybody projected that. I mean, I I was more optimistic than a lot of people and I, and I projected seven and five for the season and thought eight was their ceiling um so for them to be at eight and two right now i think is mm-hmm. is exceeding the expectations of everybody outside that locker room mm-hmm. mike mcintyre is in his fourth year with this team and four and eight in his first year two and ten after that then four and nine uh last year was it kind of hard for the school to stick with him after that, or did they, they want to make it? I mean, it's obviously paid off for them very nicely, but did they want to make that commitment to him after he came over from San Jose State to say, you know, look, we know you can turn a program around. We're going to stick with you for as long as this takes to get it done. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it was necessarily that they were going to, you know, have that much patience. 
I think part of it was the fact that coming into this year, he still had three years left on his contract. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they've had to buy out a couple of coaches, not only football, but uh, women's basketball this last year. And, um, you know, so I, I think, you know, they also had, you know, just a few years ago, obviously they had to uh, pay their way out of the Big 12 mm-hmm. over the Pac-12. So I think they just didn't want to put up three years worth of money <laughs> um, you know, I mean, honestly, I mean, I think that was a factor. I don't think that was the factor, but mm-hmm. um, you know, athletic director Rick George is not the AD who hired McIntyre, and so uh, you know how it is. ADs like their guy, mm-hmm. and you know, McIntyre's not was not his hire. Um, so I think he was quicker to move on. Or was was would have been quicker to move on um, if maybe McIntyre had a year or two left mm-hmm. on the on the deal instead of three. Um, but. They also, uh, you know, they have the new facilities they opened up and everything, and, mm-hmm. and they wanted to see this thing through and just kind of see if things could keep going with all the facilities and everything. So um, certainly it's paid off, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's certainly no talk of him uh, being let go at this point. We talked about this a little bit before, but uh, Colorado kind of has a similar problem that WSU does in that game the day or the Saturday before Thanksgiving because CU gives the entire week off for students – uh, before Thanksgiving, like WSU does, so a lot of them aren't really inclined for whatever reason uh, to stay for a game on Saturday. Are they? Are are you kind of getting an inkling that that's might be a problem for Colorado in terms of their students sticking around for this football game? Yeah, and I, I don't know what the attendance looks like right now, but I know that um, even from before the season began, uh, just talking to administration, just kind of projecting out attendance before we even knew how good this team was going to be. Um, they've been worried about uh, that component of it for these last two home games, just knowing that the students were going to be out of town for the final two. And, you know, football-wise, it's a great thing to have the last two at home. I mean, it, it, there's no better place, especially when you're in a title race like they are now, mm-hmm. than to play at home. But um, certainly, uh, you know, they would love for the students to stick around. And, you know, Colorado's got a lot of uh, out-of-state students. So I think you're going to have a lot of students that might have been at the game that have, have made plans long ago to fly home for Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and might be leaving Thursday or Friday. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny, Mike McIntyre after the game the other night, um, you know, he, he made a point of it. Nobody nobody even asked him about it, but he made a point to just point out to students. He said, hey, if you've got a flight, just change your plans. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just, just he, I, he said, the dorms will be open, stay here through Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. just come support us. So they're kind of begging uh, the fans a little bit. But, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that aspect of it. Sefa Lufau uh, back at the helm for Colorado at quarterback after missing a couple of games earlier this year. I believe he was hurt. Uh, how's, how's he been looking here? He played a little bit against USC, just through three passes, but now more back into the groove of things uh, in terms of taking regular snaps. He's thrown the ball at least 25 times in each of the last four games and run the ball uh, 14 or more times. How's he been looking here these last four games? Um, you know, he looked really good against ASU, which was his first start back. Um, he played, like you said, a little bit against USC. Um, he was still not fully back from the ankle. And um, Steven Montez, his backup, got uh, the wind knocked out of him, so Stefo had to play a couple plays. But um, he looked really good against ASU three weeks ago. And then he had his two worst games of the year back-to-back against Stanford and UCLA. Mm-hmm. Through his first two picks of the year um, against UCLA. And then this last week, he played much better against Arizona. He threw another pick, but it was a tip pass. Um, but looked much better. So hopefully Arizona, you know, I mean, Arizona's defense is terrible. 
and can get a lot of people back on track. So mm-hmm. uh, the, bu- the Buffs are hoping that uh, that game gets him back on track. He looked much sharper, um, threw three touchdown passes, and mm-hmm. um, ran the ball pretty well. So um, based off of that, I mean, that was the most recent time we saw him, obviously. And, uh, he needs to play like that because he was very good early in the year, and they, they need him to be more like that. Philip Lindsay, a guy who I, I think we all kind of had an inkling he was pretty good last year, but right now he's sitting about 60 yards short of 1,000 for the season. And, I, I, you know, you can make an argument he's up there with Joe Williams, like, you know, guys like that, and Miles Gaskin, Christian McCaffrey, in terms of their quality of running back in the conference. How much of a help has it been having a guy who you can, you can just reliably count on uh, to pick up yardage uh, like him this year for Colorado? It's been huge. I mean, they've been kind of a running back by committee team for the last three, four, five years, and Lindsey's really just kind of taken hold of it. And he's so much better when he gets in a rhythm. And I, I credit a lot of it to Darian Hagan, the former CU quarterback, who's now the running backs coach. This is his first year uh, as a running backs coach, and mm-hmm. he really wanted to. He likes guys to get into a rhythm, and he's kind of allowed Lindsey to do that, and uh, it's really helped. I mean, Lindsey's. Um, he doesn't have the, the size that you would uh, prototypically like in that lead back, but he, he runs bigger than he actually is. So um, he's done a great job of getting the 20 carries a game, but he's also been great in the passing game. I mean, he's, I think he's caught 37, 38 passes this year. Mm-hmm. So, and, and he doesn't drop the ball at all. So uh, he's been great both running the ball and catching it. Mm-hmm. Looking down at the receivers, uh, no Nelson Spruce this year, so it's been other guys who've had to step up. Shea Fields with about 710 yards of receiving. He's got the most touchdowns on the team, leading receiver, the number one guy. They've been able to fill uh, that hole of no Nelson Spruce, who, to my for my money, was one of the better receivers in the conference last year. Uh, but they've been able to fill in for him pretty well with Shea Fields, but also with some other guys, it looks like, right? Yeah, I, I think they feel, and, and I agree with them, they feel that uh, their receiving core is actually better this year mm-hmm. than it was last year. Um, it's because of guys like Devin Ross and Bryce Bobo really stepping up this season. We all knew what Shea Fields could do because he was um, just a really good number two behind Nelson the last two years. But um, Shea stepped in, and um, he, I don't think he leads the team in catches. There, there's three guys that are right there, but um, Shea leads him in yards. And he's been great. He's the deep threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ross and Bobo have been the keys because without them stepping up, then I think this passing game would struggle. But both of them, Ross struggled with drops last year and has really uh, limited that quite a bit this year. And Bobo was just never, ever really able to stay, stay healthy and keep himself on the field. Mm-hmm. He's been healthy this year, and he's been great for them. I think a lot of folks uh, here uh, in the Pacific time zone haven't watched a ton of uh, Colorado in the mountain time zone this year, but their defense is as stout as they come in the Pac-12, better than Washington's uh, via SMP, and they are better than Washington's in a lot of ways if, if you're more of a counting stats person. What makes this defense so, so good? I mean, we're talking amongst the elite in the country in terms of their ability to play defense in Boulder, what makes this defense tick? What makes them so good? Well, I think number one is their experience. I mean, they've got eight seniors that are starting on that defense, and, and all eight of them are guys that have been playing for a couple of years, some of them three and four years. So they've got guys that are not only old in terms of college football, but very yeah. experienced. So, I mean, they've got guys with, you know, 25, 30 
career start career starts under their belt. So um, that helps to out number one. But then their secondary has been uh, one of the best in the country. I, I think it's a very underrated secondary, and their defensive line um, has been just tremendous. And the biggest key to that was uh, they got Josh Tupo, their north their nose tackle, back this year. Um, he served a one-year suspension uh, for an off-the-field incident last year, mm-hmm. and getting him back has really solidified that that front group and made things a lot easier on the back. And obviously, the back being so good makes it easier on the front. So, um, just those two combined, then you got a pretty solid group of linebackers. Just um, you know, they're having fun and they're experienced. They're it's all, it's all paying off for them. It, I mean, it, it sounds like they're kind of they're you know equipped to take on an air raid defense, and you know Luke Falk hasn't made a ton of mistakes this year in terms of throwing interceptions. But w- what is their strategy going to be? You think on Saturday uh, against the Cougs to try and stop uh, what's what's been an offense that you know, like I said, they faced three pretty bad defenses the last three weeks, so there hasn't been a lot uh, to stand in their way. But th- this will undoubtedly be a tougher test for them. Yeah, you know, I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of Washington State yet, but I know they're running the ball better than they have in a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, Colorado always talks about their number one thing is to stop the run. And even in, in this against this offense with Luke Falk, I think that's still going to be their number one thing is to stop the run and make Falk one-dimensional or make, make the offense one-dimensional because I think that they just trust their secondary against anybody. I mean, they love their secondary, and they've got guys that can go one-on-one and um, even in, even against talented receivers like Washington State has, I think they like their chances if they can um, do that. So I do think their, their number one priority is going to be to stop the run and then hope their secondary can step up and play as well as they have all year. If I had to ask you for a gut feeling on a final score right now, I mean, this this is this is going to be the toughest game WSU's played in over a month. I, I, don't, I don't even think it's yeah. close in terms of uh, how how difficult it will be for them. I mean, just the fact that they're playing a ranked team for the first time since they beat Stanford in Palo Alto. But if you if you had to, if you had to say right now, what do you think a final score would be on Saturday? Yeah, you know, my gut says Colorado wins because they're at home. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a really good game, really entertaining. Um, and it certainly wouldn't surprise me if Washington State won. Um, maybe it's a little homerish, but uh, you know, I do have that gut that Colorado's going to play well at home. And uh, I'm going to go, you know, not super high scoring, but I'll go with Colorado, say 35-31. Yeah, I man. Actually, I yeah, I'm kind of waffling back and forth right in that area too. So that's about yeah. where I see it too. Brian Howell from BubZone.com. Check out his work there. It's all really good stuff. More anything you need to know about Colorado before Saturday, go there and read that, please. Thank you, sir, for joining us. Thank you very much. the Coog Center Hour. Our thanks again to Mr. Brian Howell for being here again this year. He's a great guest. And again, go to buffzone.com if you want to follow his work. Uh, joining us 
on the show now. I wanted to keep it consistent with the guests this week. So we had Brian Howell from buffzone.com. And now we have Brian Anderson from kookcenter.com here to talk about more football with us. Uh, Do you like having the same name as our other guests? Do you like it keeping it consistent, BA? Is that that nice just kind of for, you know, I know you're you're a scientist type fella. Is Is that nice for your brain that we keep it consistent like that? Yes, it's good synergy. Ooh, ooh. Now there's that's a three dollar word ooh. right there. I like that. That's a good that's a good that's a quality word. Uh Luke <laughs> Falk you know, as if if you guys don't know, Brian's kind of our resident he's our resident guru. There's a man who knows more about football than I will ever forget or you know, he will forget more about football than I'll ever know about it. So we we like to talk to him every year and and, and just talk about this football team, an eight and two football team, I might add. Uh, so far this season, um, Brian Luke Falk kind of looked a bit like early 2015 Luke Falk early this season, but he has transformed again into late 2015 Luke Falk here in late 2016. <laughs> uh, what have you seen from him just kind of from the beginning of the season to now, uh, that's caused him to improve so much? Yeah, I think, um, well, one of the things that later in the season, he's just not getting pressured hardly at all, and that's got to go up front to uh, all the guys on the offensive line. I think there's been zero sacks in November so far, last yeah. two games, no sacks. And he's hardly been hurried, hardly been pressured, and uh, that makes life a lot easier on you as a quarterback when that happens. Um, but, I mean, going all the way back to the beginning of the season, to Eastern, which now feels like a lifetime ago, basically. They, they were a completely different team then, and Falk was a completely different quarterback. Um, you know, he he's just done everything faster, and mm-hmm. there's no really good explanation for why, uh, you know, he progresses like this throughout a season. I, I, have, I have no idea. You know, he might not even know. But he, he just gets through his reads a lot quicker, gets the ball out faster, finds the people in space, and mm-hmm. they're starting to make good plays for him. And, you know, when he's on time and in rhythm, he is, you know, extremely accurate, and that makes him, you know, one of the most dangerous quarterbacks probably in all of college football. Well, because we talked about this a little bit with Yogi Roth uh, earlier this season right after the Idaho game. And, the, I mean, there's just – there's not really – you know, as, as much as I think some people hate it, including myself – there's just not really an explanation for it because in theory in this offense, you should be able to kind of start quickly because repetition is the name of the game and Luke Falk has plenty of those. So there's, it's kind of weird because there's just, there's just not really an explanation and it's kind of hard to find that anywhere else in college football, isn't it? Yeah. I think we bounced this around a little bit last year. Um, Cause I, I mean, the, the big overarching theme for uh, last season was that WC plays to the level of their opponent. I mean, that's just what they did. Against bad teams, they play them close. And against really, really good teams, I mean, they played with the top of the co- of the competition in the whole conference. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, where fault goes, the team goes sort of offensively. And uh, so maybe Falk's just a gamer. Maybe he needs to get in those battles and get kind of <laughs> slugged around a little bit and get in those pressure, you know, uh, he's backed up against a corner sort of situations before he really starts to shine. I mean, Mm -hmm. last season he had those three game-winning drives in the final minutes, and um, you kind of thought that, like, maybe this guy needs to be put into a pressure cooker a little while before he just really emerges and and plays to his full potential. Uh, This year there's been less of that. You know, like, it just took him a little bit to get going, and, you know, like you said, it's just card 
it's hard to say why, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, who knows, but, <laughs> uh, there's been less of the, less of the playing to the level of your opponent sort of things that we saw last year. They've yeah. moved past that a bit after the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. And, um, that stretch against, uh, UCLA, Arizona state and Oregon state, they kind of did it a little bit, but mm-hmm. they've absolutely like, floored the gas pedal on some teams that they should have, yeah. you know, especially the last two. It's been pretty ridiculous. Falk went uh, 68 of 85 for 684 yards, nine touchdowns, and one interception in the last two games. I feel like that, that's good. I feel like that's, that's good. That's pretty good. That <laughs> is pretty good. Uh, no, you, know, you, you mentioned he just kind of that playing the level of is, – is there something to that in football where you just, uh, you know, you kind of got to get knocked around a little bit? Because it kind of seems like Earl Thomas is that way too for the Seahawks. I don't know if others have noticed this. Maybe it's just me. But a guy who just – he kind of needs to get hit to get the adrenaline flowing a little bit and then uh, and then it comes out and you, you start playing better. Is, is that just something that's in the mentality of football players that uh, mortals like myself – uh, don't quite possess because frankly I would prefer uh, that nobody damages my my very soft and gooey exterior. So is that is that just something that sometimes football <laughs> players have me- mentally that they just need that to happen? Oh hey, I'm playing football now. I should be playing football. Well, I can't really speak to that any better than you can. But there's <laughs> you know that there is something to that. That uh, mm-hmm. you know fighters talk about the same thing where you know they get hit in the face a little bit, get knocked around for a couple rounds, and all of a sudden they're in the fight. You know. Um, so there is something to that. I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even come close to wanting to guess as to what Falk's mentality is or if that helps yeah. him or not. I certainly would rather him not get hit ever, but you know, that's just me. The, I, I want to talk about something else and, and you bring up a really good point to me all the time is, you know, and to the point where now I repeat it to people cause you're so dang smart with it is that the, for the balance for the sake of balance is not a good Thing. You don't just need to run the ball half the time to be effective, and Mike Leach doesn't see it that way. You know, he doesn't see it that way either, and it reflects it. But this year, they've been running the ball a little bit more because they have such a good offensive line and such good running backs. Uh, I've got to assume that's got to help Falk a little bit, but not only that, he's got three really talented guys that he can be pretty confident in. Like, look, even if I have six guys in the box and one one just needs to miss, I know that any of these three guys, especially Booby, uh, can can do that to them. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of like old hat knowledge now to say that the running game helps out the passing game, but it, it doesn't make it any less true. Like that that that's certainly true. That'll keep linebackers in the box. That'll you know draw safeties down a little bit, and you know there is you know, kind of a mutual benefit for one being good and helping out the other. Uh, And if you look at the running backs, 53 carries, 392 yards, and five touchdowns on the ground in the last two games. So when you look at WSU's success this year, it's, you know, really come from having that strong backfield of Jamal Morrill, James Williams, and Gerard Wicks. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see, those last two games – those last two games, if we break it out, and you talked a little bit about balance, um, if we break it out like how we have at the end of all of the seasons and look at touches per position, mm-hmm. and we kind of see how that's distributed, um, WSU's been leaning heavily on that running back production. 7.5 touches per game out to X, which is Tavares Martin, 
five touches per game to H, which is Robert Lewis and John Thompson. Six and a half touches per game to Y, which is River Craycraft and Kyle Sweet. Ten and a half touches out to Z, which has been mostly game marks. Yeah. At the running back position, 39 touches. Per That's game. 57% per game. That's 57% of the offense and 301 yards <laughs> per game. Okay, wow. so 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 when when WSU has throttled teams this year, it's because their running backs have just taken off. Right, and and you know it's it's making it's made their offense extremely difficult to defend when um, you know your linebackers are not only worried about pass coverage now. Like you can't just have pass coverage backers in there at your will and your sand, your outside backers. You've got to have people in there that can play in the box and can make a tackle in the gaps. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have gap integrity inside, or Gerard Wicks is going to bust a 60-yard run down to the goal lines. And that hasn't been part of their offense until this year, and now that it is, it's making them extremely, extremely dangerous. I, w- I want to go back to that point you made because, again, you know, we, you know, I, I you know, Rod Gilmore is, luckily I didn't have to listen to him on Saturday because we were there, but, um, you know, they, they, they're pretty much talking about, well, it needs to be more balanced. It needs to be more balanced. But the running backs are basically touching the ball six out of every ten times the ball is snapped. So, you know, those short little passes that are considered throws, WSU is actually, you know, I, you know, I can't say they're, they run the ball more because they don't because they are technically passes, but they, are, they lean more heavily on the running back than I think maybe, I mean, I, that is a, you know, you told me you had some numbers that were really cool before we started this. That was a genuine reaction. I had no idea the running backs touched it that much per game. That's just an astonishing number. Yeah. When you look back, so 2012 to last year, 2015, this is the average touch per game for the running back position, 18, 21, 22, 24. And now it is 39 for those last two. God. Okay. So, um, yeah, like you would say, you would say that that's unbalanced in the other direction. Yes. No, no, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like over, over the season, it's going to, that's how it's going to balance out a little bit more is that the F is going to get about a quarter of the touches per game, maybe a little bit more, maybe 30%, anywhere from 25 to like 35% of the total touches. And then you're going to have somewhere around 12 to the outside and then, you know, 5 and 10% to the inside receivers. That's just generally how it always balances out. And, you know, what's really been astonishing these past few games is just how heavily they've relied on those backers, on those uh, running backs, and, you know, how much they've stepped up. I mean, it's, it's really been pretty great to watch. I want to ask one more question about the offense, and then we'll get we'll get to the defense a little bit because I do want to talk about because they've been playing you know exceptionally well the last couple of weeks as well. Um, I, I I've been closely following WSU since about 2006 when I got to school. I won't claim to be a big WSU fan before that. I was raised incorrectly to be a UW fan. Um, this is the best running back in terms yeah, of J- cool. with James with James Williams. This has got to be the best running back we've seen since Jerome Harrison at WSU, right? I mean, you know, maybe Dwight Tardy comes kind of close, but this is he, – he's got to be the most talented kid they've had on that team. And the funny thing is Jamal Morrow is very close, and Gerard Wicks also does many things that you want in a running back. So to have a guy like James Williams plus two other complimentary – we haven't seen a rushing attack like this since it was just Jerome Harrison doing all of it, right? 
Uh, yeah, definitely. Jerome Harrison and Dwight Hardy, I think, are the only ones that come close to comparing to uh, what James Williams is doing. I mean, he's he's getting <laughs> and he brought up Jamal Mo too, which is this is some more numbers that are just kind of ridiculous. He's averaging six point three yards per carry. Uh, James Williams is, and right about forty nine percent of the time, he's he's getting over five yards. So on at least half of his carries, he's getting at least five yards. Small Morrow, almost the exact same. He's, he's just barely over, barely over 50%. He'll get five yards, 50% of his carries, averaging 6.1 yards per carry. And they're at uh, 82 rushing attempts on the season for James Williams and 75 for Jamal Morrow. And, you know, to see numbers like that is just, like really, really staggering when um, I think it was, it was the 2013 season or yeah, the 2013 season when um, the Cougar running attack just like started to pick up a little bit and they were starting to average, you know, four and a half, 4.8, I think on the season for a couple of their different running plays, mm-hmm. uh, like 20 Texas is what they call that little belly run, like right up the middle. And I think they're averaging like 4.8 on that. And we all kind of freaked out. And now you have two backs that are averaging over six yards a carry, and Gerard Blakes isn't very far behind. He's at five point seven yards a carry. Yeah, that's so. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, it the running the running back production is just otherworldly right now. I mean, we haven't seen anything like this in a really long time. <sighs> okay, enough on the offense. I'm I'm like smoking a cigarette. It's been so good. Um, the defense. I I, I can't leave them out the last couple of weeks. I know that Arizona is you know, battered and bruised, uh, but Cal is a good offense. And they did give up some yardage, uh, but again, kind of mm-hmm. that bend, don't break. And having Shalom Luwani move down to nickel has, has almost been a revelation for WSU in terms of how they play defense. Can can you go a little bit more in depth on that? Because I, you know, I think a lot of folks maybe want to understand what what the big difference is with having him down there. Because I maybe, maybe to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost it's a little bit like having what Deon Buchanan is now in the NFL. It's like having Shalom Luwani do that right now for WSU. Um, yeah, they they mix it up a little bit. I mean, he's been back at safety, uh, and it just kind of depends on where Parker Henry is, and you know, with his kind of injury stuff. But uh, yeah, how how they use how they use Shalom is to be aggressive uh, in the alley, which is. Um, the area right outside of the furthest offensive lineman, right? So it could be a tackle, it could be a tight end. But in between that furthest offensive lineman and the outside receiver, call that the alley. A lot of teams try to exploit that in the running game. And uh, Shalom uh, fills that, like, super aggressively. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in run-stopping situations, you know, that, that effectively means that you have one more run-stopper than what you're showing in the box, Right. And so teams that try to run at WSU are having a hard time accounting for that because they just, you know, who's going to get out and block a wide or a, a safety that's 10 yards off the ball? You know, it's, it's just, it's really hard to do when you have a playmaker that can make those sort of plays for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, so far as the passing game, so far as the passing game, it's not really been that much different with him. Um, it's been a lot, 
it's been a lot, uh, let's just say, like improved corner play. Like the corners have just stepped up and been remarkable in their pass coverage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they, they got beat a little bit in one-on-one situations against Cal, but Cal's receivers are really super good. So, you know, that's going to happen every now and again. Um, but, yeah, it, it's – as a whole, I, I think Mike Leach said today in his press conference that the secondary has been the most improved part. And um, it's it's really easy to see that just with your eyes watching the game. I want I want to ask Brian one more question before we let him get out of here. And, I, you know, I, I don't want this just to be all, you know, praise and, you know, whatever else. It is nice to do that with an 8-2 yeah. football team, though. Um, if there was one area offensively or defensively you'd like to see them get a little bit better at – uh, here in these last two games, especially against two top fifteen teams in Colorado and Washington, uh, what, what's the what? What do you want to see them improve on here in these last two regular season games? What could what could use uh, a little getting getting better at, so to speak? Uh, I I would say if there's if there's room for improvement offensively, it's explosiveness. Um, mm-hmm. Folks got to take a few more shots downfield, and they got to get a few more quick scores and the fact that they can put together sustained drives of eight to 12 plays you know is really really good but um you know when you have an explosive offense like colorado's and like u-dubs that will score quickly they will score on one or two plays of possession and when you're going up against something like that you you got to be able to counter punch you've got to be able to, to hit them right back in the mouth you know if you force a turnover or something you got to be able to score you know in the next series quickly mm-hmm. you know and, and just kind of um be able to stay in the game that way and uh i i think that that will probably be a little important in the next couple games um specifically heading into the apple cup uh we watched you know we watched usc beat u-dub this last weekend and um, the way that they shut down UW's offense is not going to be the way that WSU can shut them down. They put a Dory Jackson on John Ross and just let him beat him up the entire night. USC is probably the only team in this conference that has an athlete that could just stick on John Ross the whole time. Mm-hmm. WSU doesn't. There's not. There's no one on our roster that could just man him up and do that all night. So they've got to find a way to be able to combo cover him and, you know, so far, no one has really been able to do that. Um, so I, I think that that'll be the challenge for them uh, going into the Apple Cup and going into this weekend. Um, you know, Lufau's got a ton of weapons on that Colorado team. They're a lot like WSU. I mean, they'll hit you from a lot of different areas. And uh, Philip Lindsay's kind of emerging as, as a great running back for them, and um, they have a couple of receivers that can do some pretty pretty good things. And so it'll be, you know, challenging in a sense that uh, the same way that, that Cal was challenging um, last weekend, but, you know, a little bit better because I would say Lufau is a better quarterback than um, Davis Webb was. So Brian Anderson is a very, very smart man. He's also very, very hard to tackle at your post-game tailgate. Just keep that in mind if you ever run into him in Pullman. Thank you, big guy. I appreciate the time. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Michael.
Our thanks again to the Bryans, Brian Anderson, Brian Hal for joining us here in the Coop Center Hour. Um, th- uh, this week's Dunderhead of the Week, I guess it's me. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go with me. I'll go with me on this one. Um, Sunday morning, uh, before leaving Pullman, decided that uh, the best place we could eat uh, for the drive home to Seattle was Cooter Country. And Cooter Country, ordinary, you know, I, I like it fine. I'm not, you know, I'm not like, I'm not like religiously devoted to it like some folks are, but it's, it's perfectly good and I, I enjoy eating there. Um, probably not the best decision to get a super basket right before a four and a half hour drive home. A little longer than that because we were, you know, following all the, all the RVs out of town. Probably not the best decision I've ever made in my life. Do you know, like, when you're, because, like, when I'm sitting, you're sitting in the car, right, and you got your seatbelt on, and I had a belt on, so my jeans, you know, so my, my pants are very tight to my waist, plus the seatbelt, and plus the heat needed to be on to keep the window a little defrosted. That combo was just really not excellent. <laughs> And I'm, I'm I'm too stubborn to pull over and you know take my belt off to loosen my pants a little bit. I'm I'm just too stubborn to do that because I'm an idiot, and uh, you know well, well, I'm I'm just a little uncomfortable uh, here in uh, in Washtucna. Uh, I'll I'll be fine until Ellensburg when we stop for gas. Pull the damn car over and loosen your belt, Preston. That's all. I, <laughs> So that's on me. That's on me for putting over half a pound of beef, fries, multiple sodas, and all the other heavy stuff they put on a super basket. That's on me for putting in my stomach uh, before we hit the road. So I I would recommend Cougar Country Friday or Saturday when you're in Pullman. Not on Sunday right before you leave. That's on me, though. I should have known a lot better than that. Ask Michael anything time. Ask Michael anything on the Kook Center app, as usual. We're going to start this out with a tough one. At Brett underscore Gleason, corn dogs or hot dogs? I, I, oh man. I'm going to go with hot dogs. A little easier to top with good stuff. You know, your onions, your mustard, your relish, your sauerkraut, whatever else you want to put on that thing. Corn dogs, you kind of got to dip in whatever. I love corn dogs to death. Probably nothing better at the fair than a scone and a corn dog. I, yeah, I don't care how weird that sounds. They go together. But if I had to choose, had to choose, hot dogs. At Pomeroy Coop, John Gordon, will we be lucky to make it through a season of b-ball without Bill Walton? I like Luke Walton as commentator, not as dad. We actually got another one from uh, Jason Churchill, that prospect insider. How awesome is Bill Walton? Uh, to answer John's question, yeah, we're, we're, we're very bad at basketball. We're probably going to make it through an entire season uh, without him. And how awesome is Bill Walton, Jason? I'm He's kind of wearing on me a little bit, to be honest. It's, I, I'm, get, I'm getting a little... It's getting a little old. 
at jtraining1, Justin Ja. Where would the Kooks be ranked if the three-point loss to EWU had been a three-point win? Uh, top 15, probably without a doubt. I, I don't. I, I think they would probably be in the top 15 there. That would that would definitely be. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm gonna go with that. At not Kenna Matthew K, best cold weather alcoholic game day drink. My personal fave has to be the hotty toddy. I love hotty toddies as well. Um, I'm also a big fan of just you know Irishing up your coffee, whether that's with Bailey's or whiskey. Uh, you know, helps you wake up too. Uh, as well, but what apple pie is the other good one you can make too. That's a really good. Uh, I've had that once and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I think yeah, yeah, I remember that's what it's called. My brain's totally working here. At K Lockins, Keith Lockins, can we actually beat CU and UW? Is it time to get my hopes up, knowing we can suffer a crushing defeat? I've been hurt before. This is a very good time to get your hopes up. I mean, look, seven and zero in conference. Eight straight wins. Going to be in the top twenty this week. If you can't get your hopes up, any if you can't get your hopes up now, when can you get them up? You know what I mean? It's a pretty good time to do it. And I'm about to kill them. Colorado thirty-one, Washington State twenty-eight. That Colorado defense is just way too good, and I don't like it on the road at all. But. They've got a really good chance to win this ball game. We'll talk to you next week, Apple Cup week, on the Kook Center Hour.